Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salam ala abdillahi wa rasulih Nabiina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in So we're now in the last part of this very summarized explanation of the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam We're not really going into a lot of detail We're definitely not uh, covering all of the things that happened in the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam but we're trying to get a general picture, an overview of some of the most important things that happened during the life of the Prophet And this is our last class on the seerah. This is the end of the story, where the beginning of the end, where we talk about the events that led up to the conquest of Makkah, Hajjatul Wada. And then the death of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So we're going to start by mentioning something that happened to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this is probably, yeah, you, can, you could argue that this was the very first, this really was the beginning of the end. This really was the the beginning of the end, and that was that the Prophet ﷺ was poisoned. And the Prophet ﷺ was poisoned by some of the Jews who were, they had invited the Prophet ﷺ to eat, and they roasted a goat and a particular woman, she poisoned the shoulder of the goat. And when the Prophet ﷺ put it into his mouth, he knew straight away that it was poisoned and he spat it out. And they said to him that, we did this to test you. If you were a prophet, we knew the poison wouldn't hurt you. And if you were not a prophet, then we... And he, you, you would have died from it. The Prophet ﷺ didn't die from it, but it, began, it caused him problems in his, in just that mouth. They put so much in it that just, he put it in his mouth and he took it out. That poison was so uh, strong that for the rest of his life, وسلم, he felt the effects of it. And there was actually a man among the Sahaba uh, who died from that same poison because he came along with the Prophet ﷺ and he ate with him and he died and the woman who poisoned the goat, she was killed in retribution. The Prophet ﷺ married Safiya she was part of the war booty, they, they fought against her tribe and she was captured as a prisoner and they suggested to the Prophet ﷺ that he should marry Safiya because she was the daughter of the, uh, the chief of the tribe as, as the, sorry, not the daughter of the chief, she was the ex-wife of the chief the, 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 she was the wife of the uh, chief of the tribe who was killed in the battle and her husband was killed she became a widow and she was taken prisoner and the companions suggested 
that the Prophet ﷺ should uh, take her instead of another companion. And the Prophet ﷺ married her. He married her. He didn't keep her as a prisoner. He married her. Radiallahu anha. She became a Muslim. And she became another wife from the wives of the Prophet ﷺ. May Allah be pleased with her. And the Prophet ﷺ did a walima for her. A, celebra- a marriage celebration for her. They also freed the rest of her tribe. They said they freed the rest of her tribe because they didn't want the in-laws of the Prophet ﷺ to be prisoners. So they, they freed the rest of her, her tribe, the ones who were kept prisoners. They were freed after the Prophet ﷺ married her. Finally, a year went by after Hudaybiyah. A year went by. And what was the time for? What, what was it time for? If the year went by, what was it the time for? No, 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 not, not yet. We're not to that point yet. Before the Quraysh break the promise. Sorry? Umrah. They said you can make Umrah next year and indeed the Muslims made Umrah. And in that Umrah trip, the Prophet ﷺ commanded the men to show their right shoulder and to run the first, the, the, when they went around the, uh, the Kaaba, first few times they, they showed their shoulders and they ran. And that was to show the non-Muslims who were in Mecca that these Muslims were very strong and powerful. And they were not the weak people that had left Mecca and gone to Medina. And of course, Quraysh had all kinds of rumors. You know, they told people that these people in Medina, they didn't used to call it Medina, they used to call it Yathrib. That the people in Yathrib are very sick and you know, these people are dying. And you know how it is when you're at war with people, there's all kinds of rumors going on, right? Everyone is telling about you know, trying to spread, what's the word, confusion among the enemy. So they told, oh, you know, these people, don't worry about them. We'll overcome them. You know, the, the leaders of Quraysh at that time, they said, oh, don't, you know, we'll overcome these people. It will be very easy. They're very weak. They're sick. You know, they're probably just going to come to Imran, you know, just weak people. And the Muslims came with a big show of strength. And look at the benefits that came out of Hudaybiyah, because in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, the Muslims couldn't make Umrah, and they were at war with Quraysh. And then after that treaty, the peace came. They made Umrah the next year in a position of strength, not a position of weakness. Look at how a year went by. Look at what changed in a year. In that one year, look at how Islam just completely changed in that one year. From that one year when they came to Hudaybiyah, they were too weak to be able to enter uh, Mecca. They made an agreement with Quraysh. It was a very harsh agreement and it was, it was very difficult for the Muslims to bear. Umar, you know, he was very upset about it and so on. And then a year later, the Muslims coming to Mecca with strength. They were, only, they were not uh, carrying their weapons. They were only, because as we know, uh, the Prophet ﷺ had agreed uh, with them that their swords would be, they would be with their uh, 
sheath swords. Yeah? The swords would be, they would not be withdrawing their weapons. And what they saw was, they saw that the Muslims were strong. The Prophet ﷺ stayed for three days in Mecca. He married Maymuna. Uh, Radiallahu ta'ala anha. Now we come to a really, you know, we come to an amazing battle. This is not the conquest of Makkah, by the way. We come to an amazing battle. This battle is one of the most, it's a story that just, it amazes you. But the interesting thing about this battle is, this battle was a battle the Prophet didn't take part in. Okay? He didn't take part in it. This was a battle between the Muslims and between the, a huge, huge army. A huge army. And this huge army were, was like a part of the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire. It was a part of the Byzantine. We said there were two big empires. Do you remember what the two big empires at the time were? The, the Roman Byzantine Empire and the Persian, the Persians. And the Persian kingdom was destroyed when the Prophet Sallallahu made dua against them, right? You remember that? When the, the Persian emperor ripped up the letter and the Prophet Sallallahu said he ripped up this letter, may Allah rip up his kingdom. And then his kingdom was destroyed. The Roman Empire was a very huge, the Byzantine, we, we, we call it, the confusion is there's two Roman empires, the Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire. So the Western Roman Empire is the one that you know of Rome, like Rome itself, like Italy and Rome. And the Eastern Roman Empire is the one that is sort of towards like Greece and you know, that kind, of, uh, that kind of way. And they're both called the Roman Empire, but sometimes the one that is more centered around Greece and places, they, they called it the, the Byzantine Empire. So it was from the same people, but they had invaded into the northern part of the, like what is Syria and the North Sham, they had invaded, and they were part of the Eastern Roman Empire or the Byzantine Empire. And the Muslims fought against them the Prophet sent the Muslims out to fight. So this wasn't an accident because they had betrayed the Prophet they had killed one of his ambassadors and the Prophet sent out 3,000 men. Do you know how many of those 3,000 men were going to face? Can you guess? In a place called Mu'tah. of the Roman Empire. So if you wanted to fight 200,000 people with 3,000, who would you want to be your general? Not the Prophet, of course the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, but the Prophet is not here, He's going to take part. Khalid ibn al-Walid, <laughs> of course. You would think we'll have Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu anhu. Actually, this battle didn't start with Khalid ibn al-Walid. Khalid wasn't made Khalid Khalid wasn't sent as a general in this battle. 
actually the battle the Prophet ﷺ sent uh, Zayd ibn al-Haritha and he sent uh, Ja'far radiallahu an and he sent Abdullah ibn Rawah and one by one the people were killed Zayd ibn al-Haritha, Ja'far and Abdullah ibn Rawaha chose as he was dying because the Prophet gave three generals. He said, first of all, Zayd. If Zayd dies, Ja'far. If Ja'far dies, Abdullah ibn Ruwaha. So all three died. And then he said, after that, you choose among yourselves. If, if, they all, if all three of them die, then you choose among yourselves. So Abdullah ibn Ruwaha was the one who chose uh, or Thabit ibn Arqam, when Abdullah ibn Ruwaha died, he chose Khalid ibn al-Walid. He chose Khalid ibn al-Walid. The first thing that happened was the way they were fighting. The way the Muslims chose to fight is they fought in a very narrow place. Why do you think they fought in a very narrow place? What do you think? If you're going to fight a big army, where do you not want to fight a big army? Ex no, I, let me give you an example. There's one of you, okay? There's one of you and there's 20 of them. Would you rather fight them? in a little alleyway, or would you rather fight them in an open field? You want to fight them in a little alleyway because you can take them one by one instead of having to take them all surround you. So that's what they did. They actually fought in a very narrow valley where the, the big Roman army wasn't able to get in and actually get at the Muslims because there was not space. So the numbers became smaller. And then Khalid ibn al-Walid did something amazing, amazing what he did. He kept on swapping around the people from the back and the people at the front. Why do you think he did that? And the people on the left side, he put them on the right side. And the right side, he put them on the left side. The back people at the front, the front people at the back. Next day, he swapped them over again. Because the army kept on thinking that all of these Muslims were new. Wow, these are guys have got thousands, hundreds of thousands they keep sending. And Khalid Marwali had 3,000 people. But he kept on swapping them around so much that the people thought, the Romans thought that, uh, or the Byzantines thought that there was a huge number of reinforcements. And ultimately, they retreated, but they, the Muslims retreated. I mean, they were not going to killed 200,000 people. They retreated, but they did an orderly retreat. They retreated successfully. And the Prophet وسلم, uh, was pleased with uh, their choice. And in the end, the Romans didn't even follow them or chase them because they thought that the Muslims had a massive army in the desert that was going to ambush them. So they had thought that what was happening is the Muslims were just sending 3,000 out of, say, 300,000 people they have in the desert that are going to get them. And they just keep sending a few to trick us to come. And when we come, they're going to all get us all in one go. And in fact, the Muslims only had that small number the whole, the whole time.
Now we come to the big one. Fath Makkah, the conquest of Makkah. And the conquest of Makkah, to understand how it happened, we have to ask ourselves a question, which is a pretty big question. The Prophet had a treaty with Quraysh. The treaty of Quraysh was how many years? Ten years. Do you think the Prophet would break that treaty? Never. No way. The Prophet will never ever break that treaty. So who has to break the treaty? Only Quraysh have to break the treaty. And this actually happened because of nothing to do with Quraysh and nothing to do with the Muslims. But it happened because if you remember in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, what was allowed for each uh, to, to happen? What was allowed? It was allowed for different groups to join different sides, yeah? That was one of the conditions in Hudaybiyah that whoever wants to join our side can join and whoever wants to join your side can join. But when they do that, now you have to agree that the same rules apply for everybody, right? So whoever joins the Muslim side, the same things apply to them. Whoever joins the side of Quraysh, the same rules apply to them. And there were two tribes called Banu Bakr and Banu Khuza'a. And these two tribes have been fighting each other for the longest time. I mean, you have to remember that the Arabs generally before Islam were fighting each other all the time. They were always fighting, fighting, fighting each other all the time. And these two tribes had big, big beef with each other. They, they wanted to fight each other. Now, what had happened was that Banu Huza'a had joined the Muslims and Banu Bakr had joined the side of Quraysh, obviously, because the two of them were fighting each other like mad. So basically, I'm on his side. Okay, I'm on his side. But they didn't stop fighting. Or they couldn't hold themselves back from fighting. And during the time of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, Banu Bakr launched a raid on Banu Khuza' and they killed 20 of their men and Quraysh helped them. Quraysh helped them secretly. Not like openly, but they fought in Makkah and Quraysh provided materials for them, weapons for them. Now Banu Khuza' they came to the Prophet they said, look, we're, we're on your side. We joined the treaty with you. Look what happened to us. Now, what does the treaty say? Now you have to defend us. Now you, you know, we have an agreement, right? Like you and us, we have an agreement. We help you and you help us. And now look, these people have come with courageous support. And they've killed 20 of our men. This is war. So are you going to join the war with us now? And the Prophet wasallam promised them that we are going to be with you. We're going to stand with you. Something funny happened at this time to Abu Sufyan. 
Quraysh sent Abu Sufyan to negotiate an extension to the treaty. Uh, and it, I, I didn't mention, but the Prophet had married Abu Sufyan's uh, had married uh, Abu Sufyan's daughter, Um Habiba, anha. She was a Muslim. And uh, Abu Sufyan, of course, when he came to Medina, he went to visit his daughter. And when he came in, she rolled up the bed and she wouldn't let him sit down. She said, this is the Prophet's bed and you're not allowed, you're not allowed to sit on it. She didn't let him sit on it. And he became upset. He became very upset with her. Because when he came in the house, instead of letting, he's a father, he said, you know, sit, sit down on the nice bed. She rolled it up and she wouldn't let him sit on it. Because he was not a Muslim. And this was the Prophet's bed. She said, you're not clean. You can't sit on this bed. The Prophet ﷺ didn't give Abu Sufyan any reply. He didn't say to him, yes, I'm going to extend the treaty or no. Then Abu Sufyan went to Abu Bakr to ask him, you know, can you talk to him? Can you get an extension for the, we want, we're sorry what happened. We just, you know, like, we don't want to have a war. Didn't work. He asked Umar, and Umar didn't even keep quiet. Umar actually just said back to him. And Abu Sufyan was forced to return to Mecca without any extension to the treaty. So on Ramad in the month of Ramadan, eight years after the Hijrah, the Prophet wasallam set out with 10,000 men from Medina to conquer Mecca. Because now Quraysh's bro have broken the treaty. Abu Sufyan came to beg to extend it. He got no answer. He went to Abu Bakr, he got no answer. He went to Umar, he got an answer, but it wasn't the answer that he was looking for. He went to Ali bin Abi Talib, who told him, look, just, you know, don't fight us, you know, maybe things will turn out, work out for you. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He came as we said, with 10,000 men in Ramadan. And the Prophet ﷺ broke his fast and he told his companions to break it. And Abu Sufyan saw the fires. Every person was commanded to light a fire. The Prophet ﷺ commanded every single soldier. Instead of normally, what would you do? Light one fire for 10 soldiers or 15 soldiers, right? Instead, what did he do? He lit one fire for every soldier. So when Abu Sufyan saw it, he said, I've never seen a fire in an army like this. Remember the Ahzab? The army of the Ahzab came 10,000. The Muslims dwarfed it now. They had a huge army.
The Prophet وسلم, generally wasn't allowed, no one was allowed to fight in Mecca, right? Mecca is a safe city, holy city. Allah allowed the Prophet وسلم, one time, one time only, and it will never be allowed for anyone after that. He allowed one time only for the Prophet وسلم, to fight. And the Prophet وسلم, split up his men into groups and he commanded them not to fight unless anyone fought against them. And in fact, on that day, nobody fought except who? Khalid ibn al-Walid. His group that entered, the detachment that entered, uh, they fought against, uh, or they were fought against, and uh, 12 of the people of the non-Muslims were killed. But the Prophet ﷺ was able to enter Mecca with virtually no fighting at all. The army was just too big, and Quraysh didn't have any answer for it. They didn't have any answer for it. And so the Muslims literally just swarmed into Mecca and the Prophet ﷺ was able to go and to make tawaf. And it said then the Prophet ﷺ came to the idols that were in the Kaaba. And it's narrated in some of the narrations that he recited uh, the statement of Allah that the truth has come and the falsehood has been banished and the falsehood is always going to disappear and that one by one the idols the idols fell down then the Prophet ﷺ gathered all of his enemies from Quraysh they'd all been captured the Prophet ﷺ gave some Permission for some people to give safety. You know, I don't know if you've, if you've come across this before, but in, definitely in, in fighting in olden times, they, and, and even in Islam until today, we have this concept of something called jiwar, which is the idea that you give safety to someone. That, the, for example, the leader of the army can give safety to certain people, right? Can say, okay, you are safe. So Abu Sufyan had already been taken to the Prophet before the Battle of Mecca and he had given himself up uh, he was not able to fight he had come he was not even able to fight he, he had just got, he went with if I'm not mistaken I think he went with Al-Abbas Abdul Muttalib and he took him to the Prophet and he was not able to fight he just watched from afar as Mecca was completely taken and the Prophet ﷺ gave certain people the right that whoever you bring into your house is safe or anyone that the Muslims give protection to is safe because generally now it's a war, right? It's enemies in front of you but there were certain people given protection and even the Prophet ﷺ gave permission to Abu Sufyan saying to, even to Abu Sufyan this is before Abu Sufyan accepted Islam that he said to him that he gave for him this that okay, whoever enters into your house will be safe. We'll save them. 
Ay, we won't kill them. So in the end, all of these enemies were gathered, the leaders of Quraysh, the people who had tortured the Muslims, the people who had fought against them, the people who had started which battle? Battle of Badr, the Battle of Uhud, the Battle of Al-Ahzab, and all the little skirmishes in between, the little fights in between, the people who threw the Prophet ﷺ out from Mecca, and they were all now gathered, you imagine them, prisoners, all in front of the Prophet ﷺ at the Kaaba. Prisoners. Makkah has fallen, that's it, Makkah. There's no more, there's no more polytheists, no more shirk in Makkah, that's it. Makkah is Muslim country now, Muslim city now. And the Prophet ﷺ has all of the prisoners in front of him. He said to them, Oh Quraysh, what do you think that I'm going to do to you now? What do you think Quraysh said? They said, Akhun Karim ibn Akhin Karim. They said, You are our good brother and you're the son of our good brother. Look at how it changed. Look at how things changed. From calling him every name, trying to kill him, sending armies against him. But now when they're all imprisoned, they can't say anything except Akhun Karim. Ibn Akhin Karim, you're our good brother, you're our son of our good brother. The Prophet said to them, Go. Some of them said he recited the ayah in Surah Yusuf, La Tathriba Alaykum al And some of them said that was in a different part of the conquest of Mecca. But he said, No, nothing is upon you today. You're free. Why do you think, why do you think that the Prophet let them go free? To encourage them to become Muslim. To show them now that look, this is it now. You don't, you know, there's nothing. At the end of the day, the Prophet didn't attack Makkah because he wanted to own Makkah. He wanted Makkah to be a Muslim city. Not because he wanted to. The Muslims never attacked anyone and never fought with anyone because they wanted to own the dunya or control the dunya or have power over the world. They didn't want that. They wanted it to become Muslim. They fought in order for Islam to spread, not for the sake of owning something. So the Prophet didn't want to own Makkah or control Makkah. He wanted Makkah to be Muslim. And so he said to those people, go. And many of them, in fact, most of them accepted Islam. Only a few of them, in fact, they say that only four people were killed that day. I.e. not from the ones Khalid killed. I mean that the Prophet didn't give them, he didn't let them go and he didn't forgive them and he didn't you know, say to them, you're free to go. Only four. Four others ran away and they repented and accepted Islam or more than that, some of them said seven and they repented and accepted Islam before they were captured. And Allah Azza revealed about them in the ayah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted it from them. The Prophet told Bilal, 
to climb on top of the roof of the Kaaba and to do what? Give the Adhan. Interestingly, it's, it's interesting to think that, you know, after the Prophet died, Bilal never gave the Adhan. Do you know that? He never gave the Adhan again after the Prophet died. He never ever gave the Adhan except one time. Do you know what that one time was? When they conquered Jerusalem and took the Masjid al-Aqsa. When the Muslims come, when Umar ibn Khattab, at the time of Umar, when he conquered Jerusalem and took the Masjid al-Aqsa, that's the only time Bilal gave the Adhan after the death of the Prophet He never gave. He said, I'm the, I was the Mu'addin of the Prophet I was his, I gave his, I was give the Adhan, I was his, the one he chose me to give the Adhan. And after he died, he never gave the Adhan for anybody, except one single time. And they said all the companions cried when they heard his Adhan, because they remembered how it used to be in the time of the Prophet Now the Prophet has come back home. He's in control of Mecca. He has a huge army. Now many of the Muslims have, I've joined the army, right? Most of Quraysh have become Muslim. Probably almost everybody has become Muslim. Vast majority of people have become Muslim. Now what's going to happen? The Ansar, those people who lived in Medina, they became upset. Why do you think the Ansar became upset? They thought the Prophet was going to leave them and stay in Mecca. I mean, this is your city. You came to us, we looked after you. You came to us, we looked after you, but now you've come home. This is your home. What do you think the Prophet said to them? He said to them, I'm going to live with you and I will die with you. I'm going to live with you and I'm going to die with you. One by one, the Prophet sent out armies to fight against the and to demolish the idols. Al Uzza, you know the idol Al Uzza, Afara'aytumullata wal Uzza wa Manata Thalithat al Ukhra. Khalid ibn al Walid was sent to destroy it. Manat was destroyed by Sa'id ibn Zayd. And there was an ayah or there was a there was a, a, a surah revealed. What surah was revealed about the conquest of Mecca? Small surah. I'm not talking about one of the biggest surahs. إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسَ يَدْخُرُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَاجًا فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ تَوَّابًا When the victory of Allah comes in the conquest, and you see the people coming into Islam in crowds, then praise the, and he praise Fasabbih, and he glorify Allah and praise Him, and ask His forgiveness. Allah is always accepting of the people who ask for His forgiveness. This ayah really told, and some of the Sahaba, when they heard this, these ayat, they started to cry, not out of happiness, out of sadness. Because they knew that these ayat meant that the Prophet was going to die. Why did they know? What, what made them know that this surah 
meant the Prophet was going to die. He had finished his job. Broadly speaking, there was not much left to do. At the end of the day, the prophets, do they live for this world or they live to go to Jannah? They live to go to Jannah, right? They live to go to Jannah. They don't live to live in this world. There's a story happened. I don't know if I told you the story that made Abu Bakr cry. And nobody else cried except him. Something happened that made Abu Bakr cry. And nobody cried except Abu Bakr. And that was that one day the Prophet ﷺ, he stood on the minbar and he said, Allah has given a servant of his a choice between this world and between what is with Allah. So he chose what is with Allah. And Abu Bakr started to cry. And no one else is crying. Imagine that. Abu Bakr is crying and crying and everyone else is quiet. No one else is crying. Abu Sa'id, he said, this sheikh, I don't know what's, what's made him cry. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, I think I'm sure it was Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, he said, I said to myself, what made the sheikh Abu Bakr, why is he crying for? Abu Bakr understood what no one else understood. That the slave that was given a choice between the world and the hereafter was who? The Prophet And he chose the hereafter, meaning he chose to die. And he chose what is with Allah. He didn't choose to live in the dunya forever. He chose that he was going to die and he was going to go and he was going to get his reward that is waiting for him with Allah. Al-Maqam Al-Mahmood, the special place that no one else will get. It's only for him. When do we ask the, Allah to give it to the Prophet after the Adhan, right? Give him this more special place that no one else will get. So the Prophet ﷺ, he knew that he was going to die and the Sahaba knew that he was going to die. They understood that he was going to die. But that didn't happen straight away. There were still many, many things to happen yet in the seerah. There was the Battle of Hunayn. And the most amazing thing about the Battle of Hunayn is that the Muslims for the first time had huge numbers. Huge numbers. Huge numbers. But what happened at the Battle of Hunayn? They lost. Why did they lose? Because they forgot the lesson Huh? They forgot the lesson that they learned all the way through the seerah, the lesson they learned. Yeah? That it's not your numbers that matter. You have to be in the right place between you and Allah and so on. So some of the Muslims, they thought that they would never lose. And so many of them, they... Many of the Muslims, they thought that they could not lose. And Allah told us about Hunayn. Allah told us about Hunayn in Surah At-Tawbah. 
you were amazed by how big your numbers were. Them talking didn't help you anything. The Prophet ﷺ remained strong in the battle. Of course, he did not uh, flee like the, you know, like the like some of the Muslims did. But the but the companions they came back and they fought. A small number of them came back and they fought. And the Muslims overcame and they won the battle easily after that. And you know when they won the battle, they won it with a very small number of people. All that big number of people, they didn't win the battle. They, they fled like Uhud, they were everywhere, they went everywhere. The Prophet called back the people who took part in the pledge under the tree in Hudaybiyah. And they came back and they fought. And gradually the Muslims came back and they got their order behind the Prophet ﷺ and they fought and they won easily. Some of them escaped to Ta'if and the Prophet ﷺ fought them there. They made a siege there and they surrounded the city. And it lasted for around 20 days and... The Muslims came back after that. At this time, the Prophet gave a lot of the, he got a lot of wealth at that time, came from the fighting. Because remember, Mecca, then Hunayn, and what happened in Ta'if, a huge amount of uh, the enemy's wealth came into the hands of the Muslims. The Prophet gave most of it to Quraysh. And this made the Ansar a little bit upset. They got a little bit upset about it. What did the Prophet say to them? He said to them, He said to them, These men are going to take sheep and goats. You're going to take me. He said to them, You're going to go back with the Prophet of Allah. وَتَرْجِعُوا بِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمِ إِلَىٰ رِحَالِكُمْ He said, they're going to take sheep and goats. You're going to go back with the Prophet After that, the Prophet وسلم, there were various things happened, but we want to just really... Uh, Talk about the Ghazwa to Tabuk, the Battle of Tabuk. The Prophet ﷺ here, he sent again to face the Roman army, huge Roman army in the middle of the hot summer. And the Muslims tried to, you know, tried to find, even some of them were crying because they couldn't find any animal to ride on. The Prophet ﷺ set out with 30,000 men in the middle of the hot summer with so little that they had that there were 18 people sharing one camel. And they were so hot and so little food 
that they had to slaughter some of the camel just to drink the water from, the, from, from inside of the camel. The hypocrites try to try to ruin the situation. And the Muslims spent 20 days in Tabuk. Do you know what happened to the Romans? That they went to fight. They ran away. Completely ran away. They didn't want, they couldn't handle it. They couldn't, they were not ready to fight. So they never came. So the Prophet spent 20 days there and he is able to expand the area under the control of the Muslims. And many other tribes came to the Prophet وسلم, one by one. At this time, even the hypocrites tried to assassinate the Prophet ﷺ. They tried to kill him again, which is something that they tried to do several times. But they were not able to. They were not able to hurt the Prophet ﷺ. There was an, a really uh, amazing story happened. Because there were three people there, was, there were three Muslims who didn't go to Tabuk because they were scared. Generally, the people who didn't go to Tabuk, they, went, they didn't go because either because they, did, they were too poor, they didn't have any animal to ride on, or either because the Prophet told them to stay, like Ali ibn Abi Talib, he told him, stay in Medina, and you have to be in charge of Medina. And even Ali went out of Medina to join him again, and the Prophet had to send him back again. He came and he said, I can't, I, can't, I can't stay in Medina when you are going out in the heat. And the Prophet said to him, won't you be happy to be like Harun was? Won't you be happy to be to me like Harun was to Musa? Go back and be in charge of Medina. So he went back. But there were three. There was Ka'b ibn Malik al-Murrah, the Rabi' and Hilal ibn Umayyah. They were three who, they, they could have gone. They had the money to go but they just didn't go. They got out of it. Obviously, there were a lot of hypocrites who didn't go, but they were the only three Muslims who didn't go, right? All the hypocrites. So the hypocrites came back and they made excuses. They said, oh, you know, we were gonna come, but uh, yeah, something got in the way. <laughs> what do you think the Prophet did to the hypocrites? Yeah, it's okay. You say so, go away. If you say so, Allah will judge you. That's what you're saying. Well, I was really, I was gonna, I was right behind you, but you know, just. Uh, and the Prophet said, "Okay, those three, they came and they told the truth." Kaab and the three. They came and wallah, they said the truth. They said, "Oh, Messenger of Allah, we could have come with you, but we didn't come." And we broke your rule and we didn't listen. The Prophet ﷺ commanded that nobody talk to them. And they totally separated, had to separate from the people. And for 40 days, 
And after 40 days, the Prophet ﷺ told them they weren't even allowed to stay with their wife. And after 50 days, Allah sent down the ayah in Surah At-Tawbah, وَعَلَى الثَّلَاثَةِ الَّذِينَ خُلِّفُوا حَتَّى إِذَا ضَاقَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ الْأَرْضِ بِمَا رَحُبَتْ وَضَاقَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ أَنفُسُهُمْ وَظَنُّوا أَنْ لَا مَلْجَأَ مِنَ اللَّهِ إِلَّا إِلَيْهِ ثُمَّ تَابَ عَلَيْهِمْ لِيَتُوبُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ التَّوَّابُ الرَّحِيمُ Allah sent the message that he had forgiven, the revelation that he had forgiven those three people after 50 days of being cut off from everybody. They were forgiven by by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At this time, Abu Bakr performed the Hajj. He went to take the people to perform the Hajj. This is without the Prophet. Because remember, the Prophet had given an announcement. And this is Makkah is now in control. And Abu Bakr he went and he He was given a message from the Prophet The message was that after this year No more non-Muslims are going to perform the Hajj The Hajj is only going to be for the Muslims No more Mushrik No more of these idol worshippers performing the Hajj And no one is allowed to go around the Kaaba without their clothes Like they used to do before Islam They used to go around the Kaaba without their clothes So he sent Abu Bakr to announce to the people that that's it now, Islam has come. No more, none of these people anymore. They're not going to make no more Hajj for them, and they will not go around the Kaaba like they used to. At this time, the people started to enter into Islam in crowds and by huge numbers, and they would come to the Prophet ﷺ in wufud delegations. So that means that they wouldn't come like you can't send, you know, a thousand people to one person. But you will send your chief and your, you know, the, the most important people in the tribe and they will go on behalf of their tribe. And so huge numbers in the ninth year after the Hijrah, huge numbers came and they accepted Islam group by group, tribe by tribe until pretty much all of the Arabian Peninsula that was then known as the Arabian Peninsula because it, what we know now is the Arabian Peninsula now in that time what they called Jaziratul Arab was small not as big as what it is today just the name they used it had all or virtually all entered into Islam It was in the year of the 10th or the 10th year after the Hijrah that the Prophet ﷺ announced that he was going to perform his farewell Hajj in Dhul Qi'dah, the 26th of Dhul Qi'dah, he left. And the Prophet ﷺ, he 
performed the Hajj and the whole of his Hajj virtually beginning to end is narrated in one hadith it's many hadith but there's one hadith that literally is the whole of the hajj the hadith of jabir ibn abdullah and jabir literally did the whole hajj with him holding onto you know the front of his camel and he witnessed all of the things in the prophet said khudu anni manasikakum he said take your hajj rights from me learn how to perform hajj from me and it was in the Hajj that the Prophet stood in Arafat. And I think the Prophet gave three khutbas in the Hajj. He gave three major speeches. Sometimes people, we know one. We all, we all know the one that is really famous. It's put the Prophet's farewell sermon. People put it on posters and things like that. Uh, but actually there were three. There was one on the day of Arafah and one on the day of uh, Eid and one in the days of Mina, if I'm not mistaken. And the Prophet ﷺ, he gave his final advice and at the end of his final advice, he said to his people, تَرَكْتُ فِيكُمْ مَا لَن تَضِلُّوا بَعْدَهُ إِنْ اعتصمتم به. كتاب الله وأنتم تسألون عني فما أنتم قائلون He said I'm going to leave with you something that if you hold on to it you're never going to go astray The book of Allah and what you learned from me when you asked about me what you learned from me and from the sunnah of the Prophet what will you say and the people said that we will say that you have and you have بلغت, and you have given the message you gave the message that allah and he the prophet وسلم, he said allahumma ashhad allahumma ashhad allahumma ashhad o allah be my witness o allah be my witness o allah be my witness and allah revealed اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم وأتممت عليكم نعمتي ورضيت لكم الإسلام دينا. Today I completed your religion for you and I completed my favor over you and I chose for you Islam as your religion. As we said, the Prophet gave three sermons. He gave one on the day of Arafah, one on the day of Eid and one in the days of Mina. And the Prophet ﷺ, finally, he turned around and he left after the Hajj and he went back again to Medina. Slowly, the health of the Prophet ﷺ began to get worse. And this is still from the poisoning that happened when I mentioned at the beginning of the video. Still. Except that it never hurt the Prophet ﷺ. The poison never bothered him or it just it never troubled him too much until those last days. And the Prophet ﷺ asked and he, he met with or he, he, he was very sick and his daughter Fatima. Remember Fatima was the only one who of his children who outlived him. She came to him and the people saw her laugh and cry. Or cry and laugh. 
And he, first she cried, then she laughed. They said, what made you cry? She said that the Prophet ﷺ told her that he was going to die. They said, then what made you laugh? She said, the Prophet ﷺ told us that I will be the first one to, I will be soon to, to join him. When the Prophet ﷺ became very sick, he asked the permission of his wives, or they waived their right. They gave the permission for him to stay with Aisha radiallahu anha only. Because he used to stay one night with every different wife, right? He used to stay with each wife in a different day. But when he became very sick, they saw how hard it was for him to change every day to a different family, a different house. And they knew that his favorite was Aisha radiallahu anha, that he loved her the most. And that's okay for him to love Aisha the most because he was fair to all of his wives. He gave them equal time, he gave them equal money, he gave them, every one of them had their own apartment. But he loved Aisha the most. And when he was sick, he wanted uh, Aisha radiallahu anha, he wanted to be with Aisha. And the Prophet وسلم, became so sick that he told Abu Bakr to lead the Salah. There was one time, there was one time that the Prophet وسلم, they thought he got better. And it was at the time of the Dhuhr prayer. And Abu Bakr was leading the people and they saw the Prophet feeling a bit better, he came out. He was two people, one on each side of him. And they brought him out to the Salah. And the people became so happy, they thought that he's finally got better, he's okay. And he prayed alongside Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr tried to go, tried to go backwards. But it became, the sickness became worse. And the Prophet ﷺ had to send word again for Abu Bakr to lead the Salah. And the fact that he told Abu Bakr to lead the Salah, that's a clear evidence, by the way, that shows us that he wanted Abu Bakr to be in charge after him. He didn't, it wasn't that he didn't want Abu Bakr or that like some people, some evil people, they say bad things about Abu Bakr. No, he wanted Abu Bakr to be in charge after him. That's why he told him to be in charge when he was sick. Do you know any of the last things the Prophet said before he died? Because this is really important because what he said before he died was like his last message to the Muslims, right? Do you know what some of the last things he said before he died? One of them he said, لَعَنَ اللَّهُ الْيَهُودَ وَالنَّصَارَى 
said, May Allah curse the Jews and the Christians. They took the graves of their prophets as a place to pray, as a masjid. And he told the people in the Jaziratul Arab, in the Arabian Peninsula, there is no two religions. You're not allowed to allow any other religion into this, into Jaziratul Arab. And from this, some of the scholars, they say that this area of the Arabian Peninsula, which is now inside of Saudi Arabia, that area is a place where the non-Muslims are not allowed to reside permanently. They can come for their business, they can come for what they... Of course, they're not allowed into Mecca at all. But they can come for their business, they can come for what they need to, and they leave. They're not allowed to have a permanent... To live permanently in that area. There's no two religions allowed in that. That is Islam's place and Islam's place only. When the Prophet ﷺ died, before that, the last thing that he said, you know the last thing that he said before he died, before he made dua to Allah? The last thing he said, As-salah, as-salah, wa ma malakat aymanukum. He said, the prayer, the prayer. And stick to your prayer, do your prayers. Do your prayers and look after the ones that your hands possess, the slaves and the people who are underneath you. Look after them. And then the Prophet ﷺ, the last words that he said, he said, Allahumma ghfirli warhamni wa alhiqni bil rafiq al-a'la. He said, Oh Allah, forgive me and have mercy on me and make me join with the highest companions, with the prophets, the other prophets, and the truthful and the martyrs and the righteous. And the Prophet ﷺ passed away. I'm only going to mention one more thing because really the seerah, the seerah ends when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, right? I mentioned two things that happened. One I'm going to mention is what Anas radiallahu an said. Anas radiallahu anhu, he said, the day when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina, there was no day that was brighter than that day. That was a day of light. And the day that he died, there was no day darker than that day. That was the darkest day. And it was the biggest, the, the hardest thing that ever happened to the Muslims. Why do you think it was the hardest thing that ever happened to the Muslims? Because they didn't have anyone to follow now. Yes, they had Abu Bakr and Umar, but before they had one, they had one leader to follow, the Prophet ﷺ, who Allah gave him everything that he needed perfectly. Now they don't have that anymore. And it was on the 12th of Rabi'ah al-Awwal. Some of the people say that's the same day the Prophet ﷺ was born, but I don't think it's the strongest opinion is that he wasn't born on the 12th of Rabi'ah al-Awwal. He was born on the 8th. 
That's what it seems to me. That the stronger opinion is he was born on the 8th. But we don't really know the day that he was born. But we know for sure the day that he died was the 12th of Rabi' al-Awwal, 11 years after the Hijrah to Medina. And he died with his head between Aisha's, on her chest, between her, between her, her chin and her chest. He died there, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That's where he chose because the prophets, they know when their time is going to come. And that's the place that he chose to die. And that shows you how much that he loved Aisha radiallahu anha. The last thing I'm going to mention is what happened after the Prophet died. When they told the Sahaba that he had died, the Sahaba, of course, it shook them. It shook them because nobody ever imagined that the day was finally going to come where they, the Prophet wasn't among them anymore. So Umar began to become angry. And he threatened that he was going to strike with a sword anyone who says that the Prophet is dead. And Umar became furious with the people. Stop saying it. Why are you saying that he's dead? He's only gone to meet his Lord like Musa. He's gone like Musa to meet Allah and he's going to come back. Who was it who could calm down Umar? Who could you send to make Umar go calm? Only Abu Bakr. And Abu Bakr stood upon the mimbar and he said, "Man kana ya'budu Muhammadan fa inna Muhammadan qad mat. Wa man kana ya'budu Allah fa inna Allah hayyun la yamut." Whoever worships Muhammad, then Muhammad is dead. And whoever worships Allah, Allah is always living and will never die. And that was the thing that calmed down Umar. That was the thing that made Umar go go calm. And the people left reciting the ayah, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُلِ They left reciting the ayah that Muhammad is nothing more than a messenger. Many messengers have died before him. If he has died or... or if he's killed or dies, are you going to turn and leave your religion? Whoever turns away on his heels, it's not going to harm Allah anything. So the fact that the Prophet died doesn't mean Islam died. Islam didn't die. The Prophet died, why? Because he did his job. And he didn't want to stay in the world. He didn't want to stay in this world. He didn't want to live a life forever in this world. He didn't want to live forever in this world. He did his job. And then he went with Ar-Rafiq Al-A'la to the highest companions and the most special of places that Allah kept for our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And that brings us to the end of the story. At least to the end of the seerah of the Prophet Of course, I do want to highlight to everyone, we definitely haven't covered the seerah. We have just covered little, little bits of it here and there. Little pieces here and there. Um, for those of you who are a little bit older, like let's say, you know, those of you who are like, like to read like little bit big books, 
you know, because when you're little, the, the, the younger kids, we've got, there are little books about the seerah of the Prophet but a nice book when you're a little bit older, it's quite, it's a little bit thick, it's about, I don't know how many pages it is, I've got it here. It's about maybe th 300 pages or so, is a book called When the Moon Split. And that's available in English. It's a nice biography of the Prophet I just was going through it now for some of the notes. Uh, later on, there are more detailed biographies. There are more you can read, but it's nice for you if, you if you enjoy reading some of the older kids who are watching the video and you like to read. Read the proper seerah of the Prophet from this book, When the Moon Splits. Very nice book. Uh, it's actually a, a more simple version of a book called The Sealed Nectar. The Sealed Nectar uh, is a book about the seer of the Prophet but it's a little bit more detailed and complicated. But this, when the moon split, it would be suitable for older children. Like I would say maybe you know, 11, 12 years old and above, those of you who like to read, it's a very nice book. It's a little bit detailed. Um, and there are some nice children's seer of smaller ones for, for, for younger kids as well, but I can't think of a, of a name right now. But there are some nice uh, books on the seal of the Prophet. What are we going to do next in our kids' class then? Find some kids to put in the class would be a good start. Oh, the hypocrites kept going. The hypocrites kept going. They didn't stop. But Abu Bakr was able to stop them. And Umar was able to stop them. And when Umar died, when Umar was killed the hypocrites really were able to really hurt the Muslims quite badly. And a lot of very bad things happened among the Muslims because of the hypocrites after Umar died. But that's all going to come in the stories of the companions. We can't do that now. Where are we going to go from here? Well, we've done enough sirah for now. We've done, done, done a few lessons, I think we did. We ended up with five or six, something like that, lessons. Very brief, really, just little examples. We're now going to go and do a little bit of fiqh. A little bit of fiqh. And we're actually going to talk about how to make wudu and how to pray properly. And that's going to be, inshallah, in the next episode. It's probably not going to be one. It's going to be three episodes, inshallah. We're going to talk about how to make wudu properly and be clean. Make sure that we clean ourselves and pro properly with water and make wudu. And we're going to talk about how to pray properly and what the different prayers are and maybe after that we'll do the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha as well inshallah and maybe just so that we give the kids a little bit of everything that they need just as you know something simple more a bit more uh, in a bit of an easier way than what we do for the adult classes as well for those who are watching the seerah classes and who are quite a bit older some adults watching and uh, some of the older, you know, the teenagers and so on, um, would also just advise you to catch up with the other classes as well, Bulugh al-Maram and the Tafsir class. Those are more suited towards the older ad the adults and the older people. But you're more than welcome to watch the kids' class if uh, you find it beneficial for yourselves and for your families, inshallah. That's what Allah made easy for me to mention. And Allah knows best. Wa salatu wa Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Jazakumullah khairan for watching. Please subscribe, share, and you can visit muhammadtim.com.